You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1967th edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk for the 22nd of February 2024. The editor of this edition is Claire Mellor, the producer is Peter Rayson and your readers are David and Carol Goodrum. We should also mention our processing team who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We commence with the headlines. Money down the drain. Shopkeeper left counting the cost after road springs a leak. 50,000 signatures land at number 10. Battle to save archive branch could go to judicial review. Repeated works to solve flooding along a major Bury St Edmunds road have been branded an expensive sticking plaster after it was revealed more than £500,000 was spent in one year alone. Suffolk County Council has carried out a long list of repairs and drainage works to resolve ongoing issues at Compiègne Way, which was closed for nearly four weeks in January due to heavy flooding. A Freedom of Information request by the Berry Free Press has revealed the scale of works along the stretch of the A143 since 2019, but despite hundreds of thousands of pounds being spent, the problem persists. Although not all the costs are recorded, the data gives an insight into the number of repairs carried out. In 2019, the replacement of a filter drain, new signs, posts and crash barrier works, as well as pump repairs and replacement, cost £547,998.82. It has prompted calls for a long-term solution as the Council investigates the source of the water which caused the most recent flooding and widespread disruption for residents and businesses. Labour Councillor Cliff Waterman, who represents the Eastgate Ward on West Suffolk Council, said there needed to be a long-term plan for the road as previous efforts were an expensive sticking plaster with money literally going down the drain. It's inevitable there will be further flooding and whatever has been done so far doesn't resolve the issue, he said. It's in a dip. There's banks either side and it has drains that block. Spending a bit more money in the short term could solve the problem properly in the longer term, Councillor Waterman said. We're not talking about a side street, it's one of the major accesses into Bury, he said. It was symptomatic, he said, of a much wider malaise over a lack of long-term planning from county in terms of highways programmes. Other Compiègne Way works listed in 2020 include two blocked gullies, no cost given, and drainage cleansing, which cost £31,264.98. In January 2021, there was a listing for water pump replacement, while in March to May last year, works included surface water pump maintenance stroke replacement, gallery repair and replacement parts to the pump. In October, November and December last year, flooding issues were reported multiple times, with nine items listed. One in November included a a pump failure, with an initial engineer assessment costing £1,110.78. On December 31st, it was logged that the road was flooded and cars were having to use the grass verge. On January the 10th, verge deterioration was costed at £2,969. Independent Councillor Peter Thompson, who represents Eastgate and Morton Hall on Suffolk County Council, said the figures did not paint the full picture and the true cost of the works would be more. We're throwing good money after bad, he said. It's viewed as a drainage, pipes and pumps problem. It isn't. It's a topography, road surfacing problem. Councillor Thompson said the time for excuses was over and the council needed to do the job properly with more joined-up thinking over drainage, highways and civil engineering. Conservative councillor 
Becky Hofensperger, who represents some of the communities affected by HGVs using their areas as cut-throughs due to flooding in Compiègne Way, said it was a complex issue because of its location. She called for a long-term sustainable solution. She said Suffolk County Council was treating it as a priority with an investigation into the cause of the flooding which would offer recommendations on how flood risk could be managed in the future. Councillor Hoffensberger, who represents Thingo North on the County Council, as well as the Fornums and Great Barton on West Suffolk Council, said, The way the communities I represent have been affected by HGVs using inappropriate roads is simply not acceptable. A spokesperson for Suffolk County Council said, We will shortly be carrying out a Section 19 investigation into Compiègne Way, which is an independent review outlined in the Flood and Water Management Act 2010, following a flood event of this severity. This will provide wider context as to why this area is prone to flooding and present some recommendations on how flood risk could be better managed going forward. Once this investigation is complete, we will have a better idea on a longer-term plan for managing flooding at Compiègne Way. A shopkeeper has been left counting the cost after a water leak outside her shop. Leslie Bancroft, who runs By the Light in Whiting Street, says cars constantly driving through the large puddle of water in front of her shop over two weeks has caused hundreds of pounds of damage. It echoes concerns of shopkeepers in Risbegate Street, where a water leak also developed and led to two large potholes forming in the road and asphalt being kicked up onto the pavement. Miss Bancroft said, Every time a car went past, it would shower the front of the shop. As a result, my front door has warped and bowed and won't open properly. It's not exactly very customer-friendly. Also, the paint has peeled and the doorstep is damaged. My window frames now all need painting and some of the corner wood has bulged. Many of my customers have complained too about being splashed as the cars drove past. Miss Bancroft first spotted the leak, which flooded half the road, for around six feet on January the 29th. It was fixed overnight on the 12th of February. Meanwhile, on the 2nd of February, Kelvin Watson, who is building a calf at 11 to 13 Risbygate Street, reported a leak outside his building. The water actually first started seeping through the road in August, he said. We mentioned it to Anglian Water at the time, but nothing was done. They came out three weeks ago and installed emergency traffic lights, but then removed them and left. A week last Monday, it was so bad, it was like a river running 30 feet down the road. An emergency crew was supposed to come out, but never arrived. Two potholes also emerged and reached about two feet wide by the end of the week. As cars drove by, and particularly any heavy vehicles, it kicked up asphalt on the pavement, which was dangerous. We were also worried it might smash the windows of the shop next door. Angling water came out last Friday, and we were told it wasn't dangerous, even though the water was bubbling up through the potholes at a rate of about 50 litres a minute. A spokesperson for Angling Water said, they would be investigating an insurance claim for damage from Miss Bancroft. Risbygate Street, meanwhile, was partially closed on Monday for repair work. The spokesperson added, We are sorry for any traffic disruption on Risbygate Street. Our teams on site will be working to complete the job and reopen the road as normal as soon as they possibly can. A Bury St Edmunds campaigner has visited Downing Street to present a petition signed by thousands of people calling on the government to continue cost-of-living support for the disabled. 
Thomas Howard, 27, launched the petition in mid-December and aimed to reach 5,000 signatures, which was smashed within a matter of days, and by mid-January it was signed by 50,000 people. Following Thomas' visit to number 10 on Saturday, February the 3rd, the petition has grown to more than 60,000 signatures and includes support from a disability charity, Epilepsy Action. I've been completely overwhelmed throughout the entire campaign by the positive response and all the supportive comments, said Thomas, who has autism. It has also been beneficial to me to read through the comments on the petition page. It motivates me. I can just say, here's the petition and that's it, but I'm keen to keep pushing it until I get a response from the government. Thomas is advocating for disabled people who may have higher energy bills due to medical equipment being on throughout the day and night. He said although the payments did not go far enough, they went some way in helping those with disabilities. He's also calling for an immediate review of the disability cost of living payments, which is an extra payment made to help those with disabilities. However, it is believed there are no current future plans to continue the benefit. It's really disheartening because people don't choose to have disabilities, said Thomas. It's something that people are either born with or it happens throughout their lives and it's unfair that they should face higher costs and bigger financial burden because of that. He continued, This payment was made to around 6 million eligible individuals in autumn 2022 and early summer 2022 and then the news of this financial support disappeared. I've been contacted by individuals that require round-the-clock heating due to their lung condition or constant use of electricity for their medical equipment. It's not possible for these individuals to simply cut their energy usage, as doing so could have a severe impact on their health and well-being. Campaigners have vowed to battle on to save Bury St Edmunds Archives branch. Yesterday, Suffolk County Council met to discuss how to balance its budget for the next financial year. The budget included the controversial plan to move both West and East Suffolk Archive branches from Bury St Edmunds and Lowestoft to The Hold in Ipswich to save £140,000 a year. Suffolk County Council says it has been left with no choice but to close the Berry branch in Raingate Street after West Suffolk Council decided to scrap the Western Way hub project where the records would have been stored. But Berry St Edmunds Town Trust has now lodged a maladministration claim with the County Council to further fight the move. The Trust said this is a particularly serious case since, in addition to failing to consult the public on the possible closure of an important public archive related to an outstanding historic town, the Council has masked its proposed action by including it in its budget with effectively no time to resolve the issue, thereby causing great public anger and concern. The Town Trust has requested that the closure of the archive be put on hold and a working party be established of interested parties to examine and resolve the matter. This has been refused by the County Council, resulting in the Trust's maladministration claim, which, if not properly remedied, may generate an application for judicial review. Meanwhile, Councillor Julia Wakelam, Vice-Chair of West Suffolk Council Standards Committee, has lodged a motion to be heard at West Suffolk Council's full council meeting next week. It says, Recognising the severe financial pressure faced by Suffolk County Council, West Suffolk Council nonetheless expresses its sadness at the County Council's proposal to close the West Suffolk Archive and centralise this service to Ipswich. Therefore, West Suffolk Council calls upon Suffolk County Council to suspend the implementation of this change until such time as it has worked with all local stakeholders, including West Suffolk Council 
and Bury St Edmunds Town Council to explore all alternative options within the County Council's available capital and revenue budgets for keeping access to local historical records within West Suffolk. Councillor Wakelam said, The proposal will, will divorce those in the West from easy access to the papers, documents and pictures currently or formerly held in Bury, which form an important part of their history. This will particularly impact the young, those with low incomes or with disabilities. One would have expected such a momentous decision to have been taken only after all other options had been explored and the public properly consulted. The Berry Society has also handed a petition to the County Council with more than 2,500 signatures against the closure. Here's an opinion by leader of the West Suffolk Council, Cliff Waterman. In the last few weeks, I have been out and about with Cabinet members visiting our local towns to talk about the opportunities there are in West Suffolk. Later on, we'll be visiting our rural areas too. This is just the start of the process and part of our new strategic priorities for West Suffolk to make sure the views of our communities really are at the heart of what we do. I was grateful to be invited to speak to the Green Ixworth Group in the last two weeks about our proposed budget and our environmental ambitions. I was proud to be able to describe what this budget was enabling us to achieve and share some of the tangible benefits of what we aim to deliver. It was a lively discussion and I welcomed the questions and the points of view expressed. There are many ways we can work together and I look forward to many more invitations to meet other local groups. 2024 is an important year for shaping the future of West Suffolk with new strategic priorities to guide us as well as opportunities to seize but also many challenges to face. Indeed, the Council meeting on February the 20th will be a time where we will, through the budget, be helping deliver on those new priorities and through the coming months see the fruition of the local plan which will shape the future of West Suffolk. And of course, if we are to deliver on those priorities, we must keep talking and engaging with our communities and businesses. As an aside, you may be interested to know that these full council meetings are now broadcast live on our YouTube channel. You can find out more by going to Council Meetings live stream westsuffolk.gov.uk or go to the Council Papers and they will have the link in them. Setting a balanced budget in these difficult financial times is possibly one of the hardest challenges a Council can face. You only have to see the choices being made by Councils near and far. These are tough times for public services. We understand the issues faced by our public sector and local government partners and encourage more engagement when they make discussion that affect our communities and our services. We have seen in the pages of this newspaper the example of Suffolk County Council making decisions about moving the archives and cutting the housing-related support funding, not to mention the 100% art cuts. I truly hope partners can come together to discuss how we can work together and find solutions before any irrevocable decisions are made. If not, we could lose services or see vulnerable people hurt needlessly. Certainly we remain ready to engage in talks around those challenges and no doubt more in the future. Despite all the pressures, I believe we have achieved a rare thing in these times a positive and robust budget that invests in West Suffolk's future, improves services and keeps charges low. Look at what we've achieved. We're able to put more investment into improving essential services, plus backing new initiatives that drive our strategic priorities, and all the while meeting the challenges caused by the dire state of the country's economy. The leaders of West Suffolk, Mid-Suffolk, and Baber District Councils have issued a united call for Suffolk County Council to rethink proposals in its 2024-25 budget. They, 
along with the leaders of East Suffolk and Ipswich councils, fear proposed changes to housing-related support could have a catastrophic, a catastrophic effect on vulnerable residents. Councillor Cliff Waterman, Councillor John Ward, Councillor Karen Top, Caroline Topping, Councillor Neil MacDonald and Councillor Andrew Mellon wrote to the County Council this week ahead of yesterday afternoon's crunch full council budget meeting. Housing-related support is a temporary housing scheme to help people in the care of Suffolk's social and children's services, teaching skills to live independently before rehousing by district and borough councils. However, the County Council intends to remove funding and decommission the scheme by March 2025, having signed a five-year contract with support providers just over a year ago. Councillor Waterman, West Suffolk Suffolk Council leader, said, These cuts, if they go ahead, will be catastrophic to the lives of some of the most vulnerable in our communities, including care leavers, teenage parents and adults with mental health conditions or disabilities. It will mean the loss of more than 170 bed spaces in West Suffolk alone and 700 across the whole of the county. Councillor Waterman said the cuts would not save money. The impact will be felt by district councils in terms of increased demand for temporary and emergency accommodation. Some of it will come back to county in terms of its statutory duties to children and young people and adult care services, increasing its costs. We understand Suffolk County Council's budget is under huge pressure, but this decision is wrong. It's wrong for the people it affects, it's wrong for the taxpayer, and that's why West Suffolk is not alone in asking for the County Council to urgently reconsider. Councillor Waterman and the the other leaders are urging the County to work with District and Borough Councils and reverse the decision. They wrote, The client groups for housing-related support are among the most vulnerable. We recognise times are tough, and difficult decisions need to be made. But we believe a decision to end housing-related support is short-sighted and will haunt Suffolk County Council. And now we have some letters, and the first is from Sheila Crossley via email. The heading is New Homes Should Have Solar Panels. Please tell me why on the over a 1,000 new properties that have been built in and around the town in the past year None were built with solar panels, especially since guarantees now run up to 20 to 30 years. They should have been added at source and added to the mortgage. I thought we were concerned about the climate, or is that just lip service? I would also like to ask what percentage of the affordable housing promised at planning has been delivered. And the next letter is from Graham Day of Stowmarket. (coughs) And it's entitled, Forget the Politics, Work Together. Sir, during my early years working in both county and district councils in the late 1960s and early 1970s, there were only a handful of councillors who pledged allegiance to any political party. Councillors debated issues sensibly and essentially got on with each other. All that changed in 1974 when party politics became dominant at local level and local politicians adopted the attitudes of the Westminster tribes. The party perspective became important to to the detriment of everything else. Thus, we have the grotesque situation in last week's letters where County Councillor Everett is endeavouring to blame the West Suffolk Council for the debacle for the debacle, sorry, of the Berry Record Office. I suspect that it is six of one and half a dozen of the other. Why can't local politicians in different authorities actually talk to each other without trying to make cheap political points by adopting a not-me-gov, it's-their-fault approach? 
The corrosion of local politics by the adoption of strict party demarcation lines leads to poorer local services. The end result that the public suffer from the squabbling of local politicians and the bury users of the archive services, not the politicians, are disadvantaged massively. Access to archives is important to many people, so please, politicians, talk meaningfully and find a solution, perhaps through a joint authority working party. Although I work in Ipswich, on the occasions I, I wish to visit the archives in the hold, I find the opening hours restrictive and the accessibility to records not good. I can readily understand the anger and frustrations of users from the west of the county. Please get it sorted properly without trying to make political capital. The next letter is from Jill Hicks of Little Saxon. Her letter is entitled, Woodcock is a Threatened Species. I was very sad to see Jordan Ryan of the Weeping Willow in Barrow enthusing about roasted woodcock in the food and drink section of the February 2nd edition. He admitted he'd never seen one before, and that's not surprising, as it's been on the red list, meaning highly threatened for birds of conservation concern, since 2015. He went on to suggest wood pigeon as an alternative ingredient for his recipe, which is a much better option as East Anglia has a very high population of this species. Please, all our great local chefs, think about the vulnerability of our wildlife when planning your menus. And the next uh, letter is from Sue Spiller, and it's entitled A Poetic Plea to Councillors, An Appeal to Suffolk Councillors. I appeal to Suffolk Councillors to hear the heartfelt plea of all those who love history. Please consult and then agree to let West Suffolk keep its archives. We want to keep them here, in the place where they originate. Our petition makes that clear. West Suffolk Branch is more than just a place for dusty maps and books and ancient documents and artefacts unwrapped. It's a community of local folk who want to find out more about events and people in the past the wealthy and the poor. Though Suffolk was united in 1974, the reality is that it will be two counties evermore, and Suffolk people in the West, on this you must agree, still stand with Bury St Edmunds, not Ipswich by the sea. The cuts that you are making now are only cuts for you. We will have to spend our cash to get to this venue, and as for the accrual space, the hold will fill up soon. So, shall we just stop history whilst you try to find more room? The council may save money now, but it's just a short-term plan. You thought we could make no fuss, but our letters prove we can. Please act on our submission. It's the shrewdest thing to do. Defer the relocation and think the whole thing through. Now, Diane Hind is the portfolio holder for resources, West Suffolk Council. Hub was cancelled for good reasons, she says. Referring to the letter last week from Councillor Everett, I would like to correct the position and avoid misconceptions. While the Western Way scheme did include a small medical facility, the NHS weren't confirmed as occupiers and the risk of West Suffolk Council borrowing money to build it was all part of the wider risk of delivering the scheme at a time of great financial uncertainty. We are now working with the NHS to explore other options for community health facilities in Bury St Edmunds under the One Public Estate Programme, as we are in all parts of West Suffolk. There is no threat to the current skate park and pump track at Olding Road, and any future plans for Olding Road will take into account the future needs of this facility. In terms of other points made in the letter, if, as Councillor Everett suggests, the cancellation of Western Way is the only reason that the archive is being closed, then, logically, there would still be £3.5 million of capital in SCC's budget 
and also the revenue to run the archive in Bury, in which case West Suffolk Council and the local stakeholders would ask that Suffolk County Council explore other ways to keep the archive in Bury, staying within this budget. West Suffolk Council is not against borrowing, as the new corporate plan and proposed budget clearly demonstrate. The reason Western Way was cancelled was because of the comparative risk of borrowing for this specific scheme at a time of great financial uncertainty compared to the risk of investing in essential maintenance at the existing leisure centre. Finally, I do challenge the assertion that cancelling the hub in Western Way had any influence on the budget decisions of Suffolk County Council. My reason is simply that the proposal to cancel the hub was not made known until mid-September 2023 and wasn't confirmed by Council until September 26, 2023, whereas a document has recently been published on Facebook showing that items, including Spanton Jarman photographs, were already being moved to the hold prior to that on August 31, 2023. Welcome to Chatterbox. It's a weekly sideways look at what's got you talk taking to the keyboard on social media this week. With news that works have been ordered on a, a dangerous large pothole, which is at the entrance to a busy Bury St Edmunds car park, readers took to their keyboards to respond. It comes after several reports were lodged with Suffolk Highways about the pothole in the cattle market car park slip road, which was first submitted on the the 10th of January. Phil Robson was not happy. He said, Suffolk highways are a joke. No preemptive maintenance has been done for a decade. It's all reactive, patching bodges. We have never seen our roads this bad. Inga Morris said, They are everywhere. Last year I had four new tyres. It's like a nightmare trying to miss them and sometimes impossible to do so. Why have Suffolk roads been allowed to get in such a state? Also, traffic islands and road signs are not cleaned anymore. Elaine Carpenter added, Need to go round all the roads in Bury. the amount of times I've had to swerve and nearly gone into another vehicle that's oncoming. I'm sure to do them properly, do them at night time. I'm sure people would be okay with a bit of noise on the night and the roads being done properly and not cause lots of traffic in the day. Joanna Proudlove agreed. She said, Berry roads are shocking. If you see drivers weaving all over the shop, and you do, they're not drunk. They're avoiding the potholes everywhere. Why can't it be fixed? It's dangerous. Sam Tate was not convinced by the news, saying... They'll do a crap pack-up, patch-up job. It'll last for six to nine months. Then it'll all fall apart and disintegrate ready for this time next year. Helen Stewart expressed her unhappiness about potholes and what she has experienced first-hand. She said, Never seen anything like it. Roads are falling apart. Shame on you, Suffolk Highways. Burst my tyre on one. And finally, praise was given to a Barrison Evans restaurant that has received a prestigious industry award for the third year running. Maison Bleu in Churchgate Street received the Hardens Diner Survey Certificate for Exceptional Quality Food. Food column, columnist Nick Miller said, Congratulations. With Beverly Jones saying, Well deserved. Congratulations. Now, Matthew H. Johnson, M.A., Ph.D., F.S.A., is in Chicago, Illinois, U.S.A. He has written, I'm writing from Chicago to express my deep concern about and opposition to the proposals to close Berries and Hedman's record office. The archives in Berry represent a wonderful resource and a real heritage asset of international repute. Its value depends on it being kept in place, in the historic centre of the beautiful town of Bury, Moving this resource to Ipswich would be like moving the crown jewels from the Tower of London to Billericay. I have spent many hours in the Bury archives and benefited from the professional help of the expert staff, as indeed have several of my students. 
please reconsider the decision to relocate this amazing resource. And this letter is from Francis May, and it's entitled A Double Whammy for Less Service. When will the councils and the constabulary wake up? Where do they think the government money comes from? Our taxes. Then they increase the annual charges, so we are hit with a double whammy for less service. The millions of pounds that they waste or lose through mismanagement. But don't worry, we can pay consultants millions to train our staff. Why employ people who are not proficient in the position offered? We, the general public, can see it. Perhaps at the beginning of each financial year, the government should deduct the equivalent amount wasted from the previous year. When the New Year's council tax blurb arrives, I think I will just say it has taken a lot of soul-searching, but I'm afraid I have to reduce my payment by 5%. We are all sick to death of this mindset of a bottomless purse. And now back to some general news. The owner of Thurston Butchers is to launch a new hospitality podcast with a Michelin-starred chef and a famous farmer set to be guests. Alistair Angus will be releasing episodes of his podcast titled The Philosophical Butcher. It's about a, in, um, in about a month's time. Guests who are lined up include owner and chef of Pea Porridge in Bury St Edmunds, Justin Sharp and TV's Jimmy Doherty. Alistair, who before butchery got a degree in philosophy from the University of Nottingham, said, Aristotle might seem a long way away from making a good sausage, but there are philosophical situations and questions that arise every day in hospitality. For updates on the podcast, follow at Philosophical Butcher on Instagram. Plans lodged for a Grade 1 listed deanery. Proposals to breathe new life into a prominent Grade 1 listed church building in the shadow of St Edmundsbury Cathedral have been lodged with planners. Interior works to the deanery in the Great Churchyard would see the property, which was built in 1736, reopened as a place of residence and hospitality for the dean and the cathedral. The application was validated by West Southwark Council on the 2nd of February. A spokesman for the cathedral said a planning application was made as part of improvement works planned for the deanery. All planned refurbishments are for the intention of modernising the property and making it fit for purpose, both as a family home and for hosting the community. A planning statement prepared by architects Whitworths on behalf of the applicant, the very Reverend Joe Hawes, said the proposals would better fit the Dean's role both for living and entertaining guests. It explains that the Cathedral's Ministry of Hospitality is currently limited. The Pilgrim's Kitchen, a restaurant in the Cathedral Centre, and the Centre's Lecture Room, which is not conducive to entertaining. The proposals include extensive redecoration and maintenance as well as enhancing disabled access and installing electric car charging points. The attic would be redeveloped to provide bedroom and bathroom space, as well as a new north wing staircase. The chapter has funding concerns about the deanery due to its size and maintenance costs, and it says these works would provide an opportunity for it to let out other properties. A decision on the application is due by March the 30th. Fiona Cairns is the director of the Suffolk Preservation Society and she's written, In my day, and I wonder if it has really changed, you were usually required to show your workings out during exams. That was certainly true of the really tough ones like maths or physics. In real life, the reverse seems to be true. Whether it's new consumer products or book launches or film premieres, the emphasis is rarely on how we got here, rather on the perfectly formed final version. In this column I'd like to revert to showing my, or rather, the Suffolk Preservation Society's workings. As most East Anglian Daily Times readers will be aware, a general election has to be held over the next 11 months, 
and we've been working hard on our initial manifesto. Our, and our, sorry, our initial manifesto asks as to what we'd like to see from our parliamentary representatives both now and over the next five years. I'd like to share our emerging ideas with you. They're not cast in stone, and we're keen to hear your thoughts. If you want to get in touch, um, the email is director at suffolksociety.org. Recalling that the Society's core purpose is to protect and enhance Suffolk's heritage and unique landscape to ensure that development is compatible and undertaken sympathetically and and sustainably, we are looking for the following. Securing Suffolk's heritage for all generations, the historic environment gives people and communities a strong sense of identity and a pride in place. It attracts visitors, providing income for businesses and employment for Suffolk's people. That is why we'd like to see heritage put at the heart of policy and decision-making by more investments given to empowering councils and communities so they can protect and make the most of their heritage. At the same time, it is vital that the historic environment is embedded in all future net-zero strategies by bringing forward skills training, funding and advice in a national retrofit strategy covering listed and traditionally constructed buildings. We believe that a key reform in contributing to this would be appropriate changes to the tax regime by equalising VAT on repair and maintenance of listed buildings with new build. Recognising the new landscapes of power, the Society recognises the importance of delivering both energy security and the country's net-zero ambitions. But we believe that this has to be, and can be, done without sacrificing Suffolk's landscapes, heritage and communities. Therefore, we are looking for the next government to develop a coordinated and strategic approach to energy, nationally significant infrastructure projects including the onshoring of power generated from wind turbines in the North Sea that minimises the impacts on our countryside and communities. At the same time, we would urge a considerable speeding up of the rollout of rooftop renewable energy to protect high-quality Suffolk farmland from commercial-scale solar farms. Regarding the latter, we also like to see a considerable tightening up in criteria for large-scale commercial solar farms prioritising brownfield sites and avoiding harm to landscapes and the setting of designated heritage assets such as historic churches. A planning system fit for the future. The truth is we will only be able to protect our countryside for future generations whilst facing the climate and housing crisis and energy and food security if there is a clear plan for what goes where, so to speak. We are looking for the next government to promote a brownfield first land use policy to protect our countryside, locating new homes and businesses close to transport links, services and facilities. We would also like to see all stakeholders encouraged and incentivised to deliver higher design standards as required by national planning guidance. This is more likely to be achieved by a further strengthening of key national planning policies to ensure more meaningful community engagement throughout the planning process. In short, the Society believes that a more agile planning system that gives greater voice to the views of local communities is more and not less likely to result in sustainable solutions that deliver national policy aims and protect our precious Suffolk buildings and landscapes. Do you agree? Or perhaps you don't. Are we ambitious enough or perhaps too ambitious? Either way, what do you think of our workings? We'd love to hear from you. And this next feature is about a survey to help shape housing strategy. Consultation has opened to inform a new strategy to help more people better afford a place to live improve living conditions and reduce homelessness. West Suffolk Council has agreed a set of new strategic priorities including the delivery of affordable, available and decent homes. 
Now it is asking for feedback on proposed actions to include in its new housing homelessness reduction and rough sleeping strategy, which will direct its approach to housing over the next few years. Councillor Richard O'Driscoll, Cabinet Member of Housing, said, We want to ensure that people in our communities can find and afford a place to live and that the living standards of that home support their health and well-being. Not all of this is within our power, but as the local council, the local housing authority and the local planning authority, we want to do all that we can, whether it's lobbying a government, encouraging private landlords to work with us and regulating for better housing standards. Visit www.smartsurvey.co.uk Now we're looking back over the years. Ten years ago, reservists showcased their vital army role. Shoppers in Bury St Edmunds were treated to the dramatic spectacle, spectacle of a multi-million pound Apache attack helicopter coming into land on Angel Hill on Saturday as part of an Army Reserve's recruitment event. Some 60 reservists were in town to help promote the role they play in a military environment which will rely more and more on the part-time soldiers in the future. As well as the Wattisham helicopter, there were groups including the 6th Army Air Corps, the 3 Royal Anglians, the Royal Logistics Corps, the 158 Transport Regiment, Suffolk Army Cadets and 2623 RAF Auxiliary from Honington. Captain Chris Tate from 6AAC said there had been a steady stream of interest from people for the event. And then 25 years ago, from a shanty town to St Mary's. A Christian charity worker used to sleeping in rat-infested shanty towns on the other side of the world is the new family and youth pastor at St Mary's Church on Honey Hill. Andy Diaper previously worked for the charity group Signpost International and worked with street children in the Philippines. He said, I slept in shanty towns with the rats running over me at night. It is very hard to describe those sorts of conditions to people here. Already he has formed a girls' choir and is planning an outreach service in June. He said, the service will be aimed at people who are interested in knowing more about the faith on a non-threatening level. And even further back to 50 years ago, crisis cuts hit theatre shows. Matinee performances at the Theatre Royal Bury St Edmunds have been banned because of the power crisis. Administrator Mr Patrick Boyd Monsell said yesterday that the historic venue had decided to suspend matinees following a similar decision by the Mercury Theatre in Colchester. We've been operating electricity restrictions for some time, but we thought it best to save more power by suspending matinees for the time being, he said. Productions affected will be Berry Operatic and Dramatic Society's My Fair Lady and Triumph Theatre Productions' Odd Girl Out in March. The situation would be reviewed at the end of March. And uh, welcome news for Sudbury residents, as the Building Society expands its branch in response to demand. Suffolk Building Society has underlined its commitment to face-to-face service by moving into new and large premises in Sudbury. Chief Executive Richard Dorrington said, unlike some other institutions, the society, which has nine branches and one agency spread across the county, was keen to maintain a a physical presence. It will move from its current home at 10 Market Hill to the larger premises at 98 Northgate Street, which was a former mountain warehouse shop. The branch, which will be officially opened by the Mayor of Sudbury, Jan Osborne, is a two-minute walk from its current location. The new space includes a banking counter for day-to-day transactions, as well as a casual seating area for more informal discussions. There are also two meeting rooms with digital screens for more confidential conversations. Mr Norrington said, Our Sudbury branch is a busy one with people coming to visit from both the town and its surrounding areas, so the move is simply about providing the space needed to serve members effectively. In a world that's becoming increasingly digital, we believe face-to-face interactions are still very important. 
We want our members to be able to discuss their savings or goals with our staff in person, not just over the phone or via a chat or messaging service. Of course, we're becoming more digital and our new online savings platform is a testament to that. However, our aim is simply to provide our members with more choice about the way they connect with us, and that will never come at the expense of our proven and well-loved branch network. Unlike many other financial institutions, we intend to maintain a physical branch presence across Suffolk. We hope the good people of, of Sudbury will be as pleased with their new branch as we are. Members will be invited to leave feedback about the new premises once it is fully open. And now here's a lovely piece of good news. A hospital anaesthetist has been reunited with her diamond ring after it was discovered more than 80 miles away in a set of scrubs. Yadhika Ramasamy, a consultant anaesthetist at West Suffolk Foundation Trust, had put the ring in her scrubs pocket before giving a patient a spinal anaesthetic. Five days later, Suraj Shah, an anaesthetics registrar at the Royal Free Hospital in London, discovered the piece of jewellery in his newly laundered scrubs ahead of an ICU shift on December the 18th. The facilities team at RFH then got in contact with its laundry firm and managed to match the ring to Ms Ramasamy. Mr Shah said, As I put the scrubs on, something clattered to the floor and a colleague spotted the ring and alerted me. At first I thought maybe one of the nurses here had lost the ring and I put the word out through the nurse in charge. I checked with the doctors as well but got nothing so I contacted our facilities team. I knew how downhearted my wife would be if she'd lost a ring that had sentimental value to her so that was in the back of my mind. Mr Shah said with healthcare workers often removing personal items like rings for procedures it was an, it was an easy mistake to make. He added that it was nice to feel part of a little miracle and was delighted the ring had been reunited with Ms Ramazami. The ring was a birthday present to the West Suffolk um, employee from her husband. Ms Ramasamy expressed her happiness at having it returned. It just shows how honest people are and I want to say a huge thank you to all the people involved, she said. I know it's been an incredible team effort and I am so appreciative of how so many people have gone the extra mile to track me down and return it to me. The titular abbot of St Edmund's Abbey, the Right Reverend Stephen Ortega, has died, aged 83, after a period of ill health. Father Stephen, also former abbot of Worth in Sussex, where he lived, died on the 27th of January. He was widely known in Catholic circles and renowned for his wisdom and knowledge. His links to East Anglia were rekindled when he became titular abbot of St Edmund's Abbey, Bury St Edmund's. A titular abbot is one who holds the title of abbot derived from a, a destroyed or suppressed abbey. And now the Reverend Richard Stainer has written about fair trade fort, fortnight and wonders what has happened to it. He says, well, normally I would be beginning this article urging you to prepare for fair trade fortnight at home and in your place of work and worship. However, this year is the first year that fair trade fortnight is not in Lent. I suspect that someone realised that encouraging people to eat more fair trade chocolate or drink more fair trade wine was not a good idea at this time of year. Fair Trade Fortnight has been moved to the 9th to the 22nd of September when hopefully we might feel more like having a chocolate binge. What is more, this year the Fair Trade Foundation is celebrating 30 years of the Fair Trade Mark so that there will be big celebrations throughout the year. Here in Bury, we are beginning with a coffee morning at Trinity Methodist Church on Saturday March the 2nd from 10am to noon. Do join us for some fair trade tea or coffee and some excellent fair trade cakes. We will also have some fair trade Easter eggs for sale. Our new fair trade directory is available at the tourist information stalls in the town and at some shops. This will tell you which businesses in the town are supporting our campaign for a fairer deal for farmers and producers in developing countries. This includes people like 
Sadik Abanga in Ghana, who, like many, is suffering from the changes in climate. Through fair trade, he has learned how to manage his land better by planting trees for shade and to hold the soil together. He does not use chemicals on his land, but by planting beans in with his coffee crop, he is putting nutrients back into the soil and increasing productivity. He and other farmers work together, and with fair trade behind them, they can keep on growing the cocoa we love. Although fair trade is not confined to people of faith, the initiative is underpinned by Paul's second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 9, which is captured in the key verse, They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. A new family home could be built to replace one of those damaged when fire ripped through a hengrave terrace of thatched cottages last year. West Suffolk Council planners are considering an application for a replacement dwelling at 10 Mill Road following demolition due to fire and alterations to a party wall with 17 Berry Road. A, a terrace of thatched cottages was engulfed by flames in the early hours of the 25th of January last year, with the blaze battled by the crews of 14 fire engines from across the county. Prominent District Council owned Berry St Edmunds sites remain empty despite attempts to find tenants. The two retail units on the ground floor of the multi-million post office development are still vacant, nearly a year after construction finished. At the same time, the doors to the Grade 1 listed Market Cross are also shut, following the sudden closure of the Market Cross Community of Creatives Arts Centre in April. West Suffolk Council, which owns both sites this week, said national market conditions were having an impact on filling the post office units, but it was continuing to make efforts to bring new or expanding retailers to Bury while keeping the post office marketing strategy under review. Councillor Diane Hind, Cabinet Member for Resources, said, Like other commercial landlords, what we are now seeing is that while Berry Town Centre remains an attractive place for businesses, many retailers are being more cautious due to current national market conditions. The post office development at 17 to 18 Corn Hill was handed over to the council in March after building work on its 12 residential flats and the two ground floor units were completed. The council bought the site for £1.6 million after the post office moved and in April 2018 councillors backed a £6.72 million investment into the site. The project was initially modelled to be cost neutral. However, the end project costs are yet to be finalised. Meanwhile, Councillor Hind said the council was unable to offer a tenancy at the Market Cross as it was still working on the existing lease position with the previous occupier. We will be seeking a new tenant through open marketing of the property as soon as we can, she said. Barry St Edmunds has been named as one of the most underrated towns in the UK. World Atlas listed six towns across the country that showcase history, culture and areas of outstanding natural beauty. Bury St Edmunds was one of the underrated towns included in that list. Describing how the town was named after King Edmund, the guide said his remains were enshrined in Bury St Edmunds Abbey, which soon became one of England's most important places of pilgrimage, surpassed only by Canterbury Cathedral in Kent. While the abbey is now largely ruins, you can still visit its lovely gardens and St Mary's Church. Another one of the town's essential landmarks is St Edmundsbury Cathedral, built some years later in the 11th century and expanded over the centuries into a stunning example of Gothic and Romanesque architecture. The other towns named by the guide as underrated are Weymouth, Merthyr Tydville, Royal Tunbridge Wells, Leamington Spa and Penrith. We're coming to the end of this edition of St Edmunds, Edmundsbury News Talk. If you have any com comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given. Alternatively, you can put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal 
from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week, so until then, from Claire, Peter, David and Carol, it's goodbye. Goodbye. listening to a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio.